You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday, November the 26th, and you join me from Newbury Racecourse, where, well, the elements have taken not quite the downturn that was anticipated. It's it's okay, it's dry at the moment, the sky looks fairly heavy, there's a little bit of weak winter sunshine attempting to poke through, but rather vainly, you fancy. Here for the Ladbrokes Winter Carnival Day 1, the Ladbrokes Trophy, one of the great marquee steeplechases of the season, is our feature race tomorrow. And as I was at Cheltenham a couple of weeks ago, I am literally and physically alongside Lydia Hislop. Um, I was going to say in body, if not in mind, but that sounds really bad. So we'll just press on, Lydia, and say it's great to be here at Newbury. It's wonderful. We're in some sort of broom cupboard, aren't we, at the moment? Yes, you can probably hear that. It's a, there's no Gordon the Gopher, no Ed the Duck. That's one for a certain generation. But um, we are in a, the, the sort of smallest and strangest cupboard with upturned benches and all sorts. Um, but we sort of just about got a view of the track. We have, we have. You have to be careful with those sort of cultural references when you get to our age, Nick, because I made a, a, a reference <laughs> to that when I was trailing Road to Cheltenham earlier in the week, and I thought I was referencing Sesame Street, and everybody of a younger generation thought I was referencing Dora the Explorer. What's Dora the Explorer? <laughs> the fact that there are regular viewers of Dora the Explorer that actually work in an office environment is actually quite scary. There are people now, I go into the office and say, oh, I've just had to sit through another omnibus of Peppa Pig, and they reminisce fondly about their own time watching it, and you suddenly think, yeah, it, it, things have changed. Yeah, I've watched neither of those, so I've got a lot to catch up on, I think. Right. Um, one thing you don't have to catch up on is uh, the Ladbrokes Trophy tomorrow, because you have been thoroughly immersed in it all week, and you were doing your Road to Cheltenham show on Racing TV yesterday with, with Ruby Walsh, so it's been uppermost in your, in your mind. I think it's a really good race this year. So do I, which is great to see, isn't it? Um, I think it's very, very competitive indeed. I think there's some dangerous looking horses with not a lot of weight, like Enrillo. Um, I think that he's going to run extremely well. I'm quite excited by that horse that you and I both liked last season, Eclat de Ria. Yeah, I, uh, somebody said all the shrewdies were on him in the RSA chase. I said, yeah, some of the unshrewdies as well, like, like me. It, it was quite a long way out when he went, but he didn't seem to be uncomfortable going in that in that rhythm in a top-class chase. Yeah, totally agree with that. And uh, it was a long way out, so you couldn't form any definite views. But uh, prior to that, his form had been on an upward curve. He started this season uh, well already, and uh, I think that he is well handicapped. He's, the, he's your classic archetypal um, profile as well for the Ladbrokes Trophy. So um, I was reminded yesterday that there, there was a horse that didn't complete the RSA who came out and won the Ladbrokes Trophy, then the Hennessy the following year in the not-too-distant past. Can you remember who it was? No, not off the top of my head. Go on, who was it? Many Clouds. Ooh! <laughs> Ooh, very good. It's a good one. Yeah. And he'd been brought down in the... Um, RSA chase yeah. by a future Gold Cup winner yeah. Don Cossack yeah. uh, and he came out here and won won what was then the Hennessy the following year so Ecladaria is certainly one um, 
Of the UK challenge, if you like, we've spoken to a number of connections this week. Fiddler on the Roof seems to be the horse that's, uh, you know, attracting most attention. The Tizards have got a good record in the race. Sort of resurgent Tizard, resurgent Brendan Powell, horse who, who came back with a good win at Carlisle. Yeah, and that was a strong intermediate chase and at a trip short of Fiddler on the Roof's best, I think. He was, I think it's fair to say, a slow learner over fences last season. I think he's the kind of horse that might have a very good second season over the larger obstacles. And Paul Nichols has been tuning in Rillo up for yeah. this for a long, long time. Yeah. It's sort of a, a Nichols plan going back nine or ten months. And understandably, he remains you know, very well handicapped. He had the disappointment, of course, at the end of last season in the Bet365 Gold Cup. Um, and that was unfortunate, clearly. Uh, he remains a horse that has a big handicap in him that he can actually hold on to the trophy after the stewards have had a look at it. So Ecladaria for you? Uh, yes, I think so. Yes, in fact, yes. Yeah, in fact, yes. And anything at a monster price that you think might run well? I'm not forcing you. You don't have to do anything alternative just for the sake of my question. You can say no and I'll move on. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just having a think about that. I'm going to say no and you can move on. Excellent. Right, what we will do is we will hear from more sets of connections in this year's Ladbrokes Trophy. In a moment, you'll be hearing from Nigel Twiston-Davis, who, unsurprisingly, uh, it's just a question of how far for the Hollow Ginge, who's a, who's a big price and ran a very good race in second last time. But first of all, let's hear from David Pipe. I put it to him that Remastered was an exciting young chaser. How did he think he would get on in the heat of this kind of battle? Yeah, obviously, second season... Uh, novices do well in the uh, in the Ladbrokes. Um, he progressed a lot last season. Um, probably took us a bit by surprise, and there's no reason why he can't improve again. Uh, Ashley Farrant rides him every day, so he's in good form. So um, we just would, you know, his form tells you that um, soft, heavy ground. He's probably a little bit better on that ground. Is that what you've always thought, or is that just what he's done on the race course? You know, or has, has what he's done on the race course informed you that way? I mean, when you got him, did you think, mm, yeah, he looks like a soft ground horse? Well, he's got a very high knee action, um, hits, hits the ground quite hard, and uh, yeah, he probably copes with heavy ground better than other horses. Um, he goes on better ground, he'll go on the ground at Newbury. Uh, whether he's quite as effective on it is a, another matter. And I remember when he first came to you from Liz Doyle and he won his first couple of races and then you were scratching your head a bit, but you look at the horses who were beating him, you know, Getaway Trump and Dashiell Drasher, you know, Potter's Corner. He sort of always found a way of running into some pretty good ones until he really got a clear run at things. Yeah, he did. Um, And I think, you know, his asset um, over fences and why he's a bit better over fences is that he's he's a big horse and and he jumps very well. Um, You know, he finds it easy, takes it in his stride. Is he, is he basically fast enough to get into a good rhythm round here, do you think, in a race like this? Well, once again, Nick, on, on better ground, um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, so we'll, we'll find out on Saturday. I'd love to talk a little bit about Fergus Gillard, because he's obviously a very talented, promising young rider. This is a, this is a big moment for him, isn't it? It is, obviously. Um, Tom Scudamore's picked cloth cap um, and... Uh, Garth and Ambroom have, have put Fergus on. It's um, great that they have. Uh, Fergus has done extremely well since he's, he's joined us. And um, he's a laid-back character. Um, he's a good horseman, takes things in his stride. And, and like you say, it's a, it's a big moment for him. Uh, was there ever any question about 
Tom riding riding remastered or, or cloth cap. I mean, was it a, was it a tricky call for him? And we spoke to him yesterday. Or, or, or were you sort of always of the view that he'd probably ride last year's winner? Um, it was his decision. Um, you know, I think probably the decision might have been the other way if it had been soft, heavy ground. But um, yeah, no, it was his decision. Um, uh, we got a good team back at the yard, and uh, as I say, you know, the owners were great to put Fergus up. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sort of trying to get a wooden spoon out of that. But you, you guys go back, you know, three decades basically. I mean, do you mind that he's not riding the horse? No, it's a two-way thing. You know, we've uh, got a, a good team at the yard. Um, I've got to try and keep everyone happy. So, you know, the the conditionals, uh, Fergus and Philip Armson get lots of opportunities as does David Noonan. Uh, and you've got uh, quite a few runners over the course of the weekend and you're, you're coming up here now. Who are you most looking forward to, either Newbury, Doncaster, Bangor, wherever else you're going? I quite like uh, I quite like Star Max running at Newbury for us on Saturday. First time out from us from Joseph O'Brien's. Uh, yeah, it's a tough race and we'll learn more about him. Might want a bit further, but he's pleased us at home and, uh, you know, he's, he's a big price but could run well. Well, Nigel Twiston-Davis's team are still absolutely flying. An unbelievable strike rate the last couple of weeks with 10 winners from the last 14 days. Looking to upset the apple cart a little bit with the hollow ginge in the Ladbrokes Trophy. And he joins me now. Uh, Nigel, you must have been thrilled with his comeback run, weren't you? Yes, he, he, he ran really well. Ground, we thought, probably too fast for him. But, uh, you know, he did really well. And uh, the more rain, the better. There is just a, a drizzle. It's a little bit damp this morning here at Newbury as I look over the course. Uh, do, do you think he'd be really effective if it, if it got really quite testing? Well, I think it, it upsets the others probably more than it does him. Um, I think he's got a, a, you know, a good chance. He was fourth last year. Uh, um the sweep is better this time. He's quite a hard horse to get a handle on, isn't he? If you look at his overall career, it's quite a head scratch to know, to know exactly sort of how good he is, I suppose. Yes, he, he does seem better in the, in the autumn. It, well, why do you think that is? No idea. Ask him. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but is it, it, it can't be a freshness thing because it's not as though he doesn't improve for a run. No, 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 no. It's not a freshness thing at all. It's just, uh, um, he just seems so much better then, yeah. Okay, so better in the autumn. The yard's in great form. You think he's in a feasible place in the handicap? Yes, oh, definitely, yes. Okay, good. Now, there's an exciting horse you run tomorrow in what used to be called the Jerry Fielden. It's now the Labrix Committee to Save a Gambling Intermediate Hurdle. Uh, Gowell Road, who you and I have spoken about a lot. Do you think he needed to improve significantly to win last time or not? Um, probably not. Um, you know, but I hope he is improving, though, yeah. Smallish field, you've got one very good horse we know about against you in Soaring Glory and two other fairly decent ones. Sam was quite content to take it up a fair way out at Cheltenham. Is he the sort of horse, if it became tactical, you could get on with and make the running, do you think? Would you be happy, confident to be allow him to do that? Uh, not really. He's, 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 comparatively, you know, he's, he's quite green still, so yeah. you'd rather somebody was helping him up front, but uh, it may not happen, and... Uh, you know, he definitely stays, so I'm sure he'll be near the front anyway. Yeah, you mentioned that he is—he he does wander around a little bit. Is that him? Do you think, or do you think he's just going to get better and better and better? Well, that's just him. He's just green. You know, he will get better and better. I hope. <laughs>
Another interesting horse you run in the rehearsal chase, a good boy Bobby at Newcastle. Again, you and I have spoken about him a lot. Uh, last time we spoke, you suggested to me that you thought the horse was pretty well handicapped and in he or and up he bolted. He, he has gone. He is. Uh, he is just edged up a little bit in the weights, but not all that much. Not that much. And is it the strongest rehearsal chase? Probably not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for improvement. You know, it's a little bit further, but I, I, I'm hoping he'll run really well. And have you always looked upon him as a staying horse rather than a sort of mid-trip horse? Because most of his running's been done at two and a half. Yes. No. I'm, I'm sure he, he's much more settled now, and I, I'm sure three mile with no problem. Nigel, these horses are running outstandingly well after what was a little bit of an in-and-out season last year. Any reason for that? No, I thought we had quite a good season last year, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, OK, well, if you had quite a good one last year, you're having a better one this year. Um, I don't know, not really. One of the things is um, not many people have got their horses really fit yet. You know, and we, we, we've got a lot of facilities here. We can get them really fit. You know, they're... they're um, going well we've heard quite a lot of talk about trainers not being able to get on grass gallops and so forth i mean you wouldn't really use too much grass at home would you no we don't no no we've we've got um you know two gallops very very differing surfaces and uh you know we we can get them very fit without without grass a typically confident nigel twiston davis there and before him david pipe sort of taking it in reverse order lydia i mean the hollow ginger is the sort of horse i can see yeah fine i can get the case for him running well as well as he did last year and you know nicking a bit of minor money i mean remastered's more interesting because he's got like loads of potential yeah i think the hollow ginger can run his typically honest race i think this is a probably a deeper event than last year and so you know i i can like you i can see him you know running doubtly and well somewhere between sort of like four and six fourth and six maybe remastered is, is interesting because his success in the reynolds town beating um the machine by four lengths is strong form i can understand why david pipe is concerned about the ground so far his very best performances come when it's quite deep he is a exciting staying chaser though three mile two furlock and probably further is going to be right up his street uh, Nicky Henderson's represented by Brave Eagle, but co- concentration really, as far as the, the representation from, from his seven barrier stable this weekend, is going to be focused on his exciting young novice hurdlers, particularly John Bon, who runs today, Friday, hugely expensive purchase, full brother to Duvan. Nico de Boinville can't ride him because he had a fall on the gallops yesterday for which he was being examined, but he's off. And that means uh, the ride on that horse goes to Aidan Coleman, who rides a number of J.P. McManus's horses. There, there's no hiding place really they're on an absolute hiding to nothing with this horse as in a win and an impressive win nothing else will do otherwise people will say it's disappointing but actually I don't know about you what should the expectations on him be? I, I'd, I'd rather not have any large expectations on him because I think he could, the horse, and certainly in the short term, can only fail in comparison with that. And I, you know, I think it's always best, particularly when you're changing discipline. He's going over hurdles. You know, he's a point-to-point winner. He's won a bumper. He's clearly well-bred and has an impressive amount of form in those two disciplines. He's entering into a new discipline. He's it, it's its first time in in public over hurdles, and we should just purely judge him on that and the potential that he clearly has. So, you know. I 
I've, I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to run very well. It would be brilliant if he won mm. impressively, but I, you know, I'm not going to be um, criticising him on the basis of expectation. Um, what about old Paisley Park? Is mm. there any lead left in his pencil, do you think? I'm a, I'm a bit worried, I have to say. Um, I thought it was a marvellous success in the long walk last season. Um, and he is hitting a flat spot earlier and for longer in his races. And after Aidan Colwyn got off him at the Stayers hurdle at the end of last season, he was kind of of the view that that is as good as he is. And he he just looked uh, deliberate and slow, I'm afraid, in the West Yorkshire hurdle. And they're, they're trying cheek pieces to see if that can pep him up. And he's got to perform well here or else they might try novice chasing again. OK, so that's what's happening today here at Newbury. We've talked about the Ladbrokes Trophy tomorrow. Uh, do you want to just put a button on the Shishkin situation? Um, Jane and I talked about it a lot yesterday. I know mm. you, you and Ruby talked about it on Road to Cheltenham mm. again last night. Is there a sort of wider point you wanted to make? Yeah, I think the wider point is the far more important point, really, uh, because I think that from everything that Nicky Henderson had to say, I think the key thing that he had to say was, I've misjudged it in terms of getting the horse ready uh, against grade one opposition in the grade one Tingle Creek. And, you know, I think that, that we should remember that these grade ones, as Jane was saying yesterday, are important, are focal points in other parts of the season, and that is important for the sport. But that means that they're never going to be gimmies, they, they, and they should never be. It would be a travesty for the race if, if they were one-sided affairs. And I think from a fan engagement point of view, and that is the basis on which so much of our sport is based and funded and makes it relevant in terms of society we need to make sure that there is something for people to engage with outside of March and April and at the moment when we have so much strength on the other side of the Irish Sea so little very top draw horses on this side of the Irish Sea and those horses tend to be collected in so few pairs of hands if one of those pairs of hands Nicky Henderson happens to be a, a broadly conservative campaigner which I don't think it's unfair to, to suggest that, that that he is certainly with uh, with horses lately perhaps um, then I think there, there is an impact in terms of what entertainment our fans have um, you know a dual grade one winner running in an intermediate chase at his first start this season the horse is not carrying large weights and handicaps that kind of thing that's the only impact that one person can have the problem is actually structural yeah of course it is yeah yeah, because because there's t- there's too much choice. You know, we have a proliferation of, of grade two races that don't re- really live up to that billing. I think horses need to be funneled together rather sooner. And you know, t- many trainers and owners won't like to hear this, but we do have to keep. It is a sport. Sport is meant to be competitive. It's meant to be engaging, and our, the basis of this sport's funding heavily relies on that the, the, on it being relevant outside of just March and April. Well, conversations about the way the sport is funded leads us neatly on to what's been slightly extraordinary week, really, in terms of racing politics. Not because the the stakeholders are, are fighting like ferrets in a sack, because they always do, but just sort of because of the way it's been been played out, Lydia. Is there anything that's sort of taken you by surprise at all or not? I think what takes me most by surprise is that details are being argued about. So... What need, needs to be happen first is a strategy. I just find it extraordinary that we're talking about restructuring the the BHA, the balance of power. With to what end? What for? What is the long term strategy? It's the it's a bit the same as you know the the Arc deal that fell through, 
What is the overarching strategy? That's where we should be starting. What I find extraordinary is that decisions continue to seem to be pressurised to be made on a piecemeal basis rather than everybody taking a step back and saying, what is it that we want to achieve here? And wasn't that the basis on which the ARC deal, which collapsed, so the prize money deal where ARC would get more races added to their race meetings in exchange for a little bit more prize money, wasn't that the basis of that? So that the, the, the horsemen who were driving that or that the horsemen's group uh, representatives who were who were behind that idea were saying well you're not getting us any money from anywhere else here's some money on the table let's take it it's kind of a they would argue that it's a pragmatic approach that mm. they were pragmatists and that sort of the ba i sort of i sort of thought that they were thinking of the bha and the people who were doing the work in, within the bha and those who were providing the data as sort of the way dominic cummings looked at civil servants do you see what I mean? As sort of um, in their ivory tower, thinking about something far off and long term, but not sort of accepting the commercial realities of the situation. I, I see. I think it's the ap- absolute opposite because they were providing the negotiators with facts on which to make their decision. And without those facts, it all just becomes a little bit absurd. I mean, we've discussed this already, but, you know, was the extra 1.3 million in levy net or gross? You know, was the percentage executive contribution from ARC uh, for their extra races, did that maintain their percentage contribution? Was it lower? Was it higher? If it was either of those things, that provokes questions. You know, what was the basis of the, of the, fund, of the funding model? You know, what was the levy board being expected to contribute? These are fundamental things. And I find it extraordinary that a seismic change to the sport could have been complicated could have been contemplated without having these facts so you know i i get it that that the that the vha might be seen in that kind of way but they are they were just trying to to add some actual facts to the conversation and i just don't see how that's a bad thing it, quite an interesting sort of um, study of personalities here as well or, or the people involved insofar as that when that deal got blocked and rafe beckett and members of senior members of the national trainers federation were amongst those within the horsemen who who blocked that deal and sort of similar characters have come out this week and sort of said well no we don't really want a BHA restructure where we're just going to be led by the nose by race courses mm. you know, they they will they will serve it up to the BHA and use the BHA as a whipping boy you know all day long for them that's the least worst option they'd much rather that than and have some sort of independent representation there than than think the race courses are going to grab all the power yeah um i think you can be I mean, the BHA is always a convenient whipping boy. That's part of the, the downside mm. of being the governing body and the, and the regulator, isn't it? Because you're, you're always going to be criticised. That comes with the territory. Um, I did fa- find it odd that the restructuring of the BHA seemed to be, or the balance of power, rather, seemed to be uh, at par- partly as a result of the falling through of the ARC deal when it didn't really have much to do with the BHA, mm. that. You know, they, they just stood and said, you know, we'll agree with whatever the two of you decide. It was actually within the horsemen's yeah, group. Not according to David Thorpe. Well, no, but that, that's that's not my understanding of, of what went on, and it didn't seem to be the conversations that we're, we're having. If he means that the providing of facts coloured the, coloured the conversation, well, you know, well, good. I'm glad glad that some facts did. But if if he means where did the final decision lay, that's that was purely, as I understood it, within the hands of the horsemen, and the horsemen collectively couldn't agree with what their president Charlie Parker was suggesting that they should do. The two things seem to be, you know, disconnected to me. Um, you know, if you remove the BHA from that conversation you would have still had that impasse um 
I think that you can be, I mean, you've, with Rafe Beckett, you've had a very fierce critic of the BHA in the past. And I think he can remain entirely consistent. You can be, you know, uh, critical on, it's an issue-led thing, isn't it? You can mm. be critical in one area and you can be, you can see the point of having a strong BHA in other areas. I personally think for the benefit of the sport, from an objective observer who's got nothing to gain or, or lose from whatever decisions that they make, that I think a strong governing body is paramount because it comes down to somebody has to make the decision in the end somebody has to make the decision and so then I mean what racing really needs is somebody a body that makes the final decision yeah well you see the those who are proposing a restructure will say well look we still want a strong a strong BHA we (laughs) we just want it composed in a different way but somebody still has to be the arbiter don't Mm. they even if you have it loaded with with stakeholder representatives Mm. There still has to be, as you say, a body, one, an individual who is saying, has the casting vote or says, no, we'll do it like this, mm. or, or, or has to find a way through a difficult situation when nobody can agree on anything. Leadership, strategy. Now, I know these are radical ideas, mm. but uh, those are the two that I would put forward. Okay. Still not putting yourself forward? <laughs> You're funny. Okay, it's Friday, which means it's time for the global rankings in association with Thoroughbred Racing Commentary and an updated top 10 for you. You might think we're deep in November. What could possibly be happening? Well, a lot is the answer to your question because there's a lot going on around the world. At 10 down two, is our computer finally falling out of love with essential quality? The Belmont Stakes winner and Breeders' Cup Classic also ran. Down three at nine is Mishrift. Down one at eight is Very Elegant. Re-entry at seven after yet another victory on comeback in Hong Kong for Golden 60. Down one at six is Nature Strip. That's two in the top ten for Chris Waller. Down one at five is Baid, but we'll see him next season all right. We won't see Palace Pier. He's been retired. He's down one at four. Now up 18, and she retires with a top three podium finish, the star Japanese mayor Gran Alegria. Steady at two, St. Mark's Basilica now retired, and steady at one and bound for the Pegasus, Nick's go. The Breeders' Cup Classic winner, James Willoughby, is with me. Wow, lots to take out of that, James. First of all, up 18, Gran Allegria. That is a very positive view of her farewell triumph last weekend in Japan. Yeah, Nick, she was, she was really impressive, Gran Allegria, the daughter of uh, Dim, Deep Impact. She won her uh, a second uh, renewal of the Mile Championship, which is, as the name suggests, Japan's most important race. I think she'd be a rising superstar in Schnell Meister as well. Uh, she swooped from off the pace under Christophe Lemaire uh, to beat the three-year-old with another three-year-old, really promising horse, down on the kid uh, in third. And this has been a bit of a theme in that the Japanese classic crop 2021 didn't look any great shakes, really. And then Euphoria emerged to win the Tenno Show Autumn. A big run here from Schnell Meister and a chance from Sheira, the uh, Japanese derby winner, to win the Japan Cup on Sunday. Well, which leads us neatly on to the Japan Cup itself. Let's try and view it through the through the prism of the, the rankings as we always do. It was a, a great session in, in Bahrain last week, but with with all due respect, we, we crank it up a couple of notches here with a really well-established global race in, in the Japan Cup. Yeah, I mean, global superstars like Almondai, Kitasan Black, Gentle Donna, Epifaneo have, have won this race in the last 10 years, and it takes a heck of a performance to do so. I would say that this year's field 
maybe a little light in the type of horse required, but heading the rankings by a country mile is Contrail. Now, this is a horse who TRC Global Rankings has always had huge figures on. He was, of course, the Japanese Triple Crown winner last year. Since then, things have gone off the rails a little bit. He, when his, re- his reappearance was a shade disappointing in the Osaka High at Hanshan, but he did rebound to close to his best when running a cracker in the sat, uh, in the Tenno Show Autumn when he was second to the aforementioned Euphoria. So on the basis of that, because there was a horse called Gran Allegria in third that day, he comes out well clear of the Europeans, Broom, uh, Japan, um, and an interesting horse uh, for some in Grand Glory, the mayor. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about Broom, first of all, because he's had a sort of slightly sort of peripatetic journey around these these ratings this year because early on the 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 computer loved him really and he he was winning group races and that the form of the ascot run behind wonderful tonight looked very good and then suddenly things didn't start to look very good again but before the breeders cup in the breeders cup special we did james when you did the turf rankings you had him very high up i think he was second or third and i went poof well he can't do it he can't and he he damn nearly won it so it, it's he's a, been quite a difficult horse to for us to assess during the course of the season. Yeah, I've got it wrong personally throughout the rankings. Well, you are right. Both. Yeah, he, he's performed just about how he should perform through the campaign. He's, he's a wonderfully consistent and very high class horse by Australia, and uh, that running the Breeders' Cup turf, we make the best of his career. Now, I wrote him off really there on the basis that he wouldn't really be able to handle the particular demands of a sharp mile and a half and that accent on acceleration and speed i've had a bit of a second thought about that i've been through and watched all his videos i think i've got him a little bit wrong actually and here i think he might again he comes out second he's ranked 40 in the world at the moment contrails at 25 and behind him really there's not a, a great deal of strength in debt so we haven't won this race. we the europeans haven't won this race since i think 2005 when it was alcar said one for, for Luca Kamani. Um, so it's been a long drought, um, but it's possible that Broome could put it right. Yeah, in all, in all honesty, it's not a race, it seems, that, that the European trainers have targeted with quite the same gusto as they did a decade or so ago. But I think that's all about to change, James. The Japanese Racing Authority have been on a, a massive uh, a mission around, around Europe and America this year. Uh, and I, I would imagine that this is, this is going to open the floodgates to many more top-class horses heading to Japan to take in this race. I hope so, because internationalisation is what we really like. But I think two factors are at play. Yeah, the rather insular uh, view of the Japanese racing authorities, not just to racing, but also to breeding, of course. Second of all, the actual quality of Japanese middle distance horses this last 10, 15 years or so, not really been an incentive, coupled with the very firm ground that, that tends to uh, pertain here. So that's not really kind of in, in, enhanced the appeal for European horses. And hopefully a good run by one of Broome, Japan or Grand Glory might, might put that right. We were thinking that Golden 60 might head to Japan at some point. We were certainly hoping he would head somewhere other than other than Hong Kong. Uh, and I'm certainly not not sort of trying to do down racing in Hong Kong. Far from it. It's just he's such a good horse. We'd love to see how good he was relative to some of the world's best. Now, he's re-entered the top 10, James, at number seven. Um, just give us some context there off the back of his victory last week. Well, he was a, a former world number two, and he was high enough rated in his 
pomp. Not to say he's declined yet, but when he was reeling off Group 1s, coming from well off the pace in Hong Kong last year, it, it did look like he was going to make it to the top of the rankings, but he never did quite get there due to the fact that, it's funny to say this, but his form actually tailed off a little bit, despite the fact that he kept winning. He really has one massively impressive win on his CV, one performance that really stamps him out as a genuine sort of global Galactico, which is the Hong Kong mile of last year. Uh, and I think he's building towards another big run. This is a really good effort, this city, Hong Kong. Sorry, uh, it was a very good effort, this jockey club mile, but it was a group two win. He was, he was supposed to win and he did. So hopefully that will set him up for something. There was talk, Nick, about him meeting Gran Allegria and et al in the um, mile championship in Japan, which would have been a, a race to savor. Connection took the easier route with lots of money on the table in Hong Kong. And uh, I can't blame them for that personally, but I would love to see him really kind of stretch, be stretched because he's quite a difficult horse to rate, isn't he? Because mm. his run style means that sometimes he's really unimpressive uh, when he wins, but win he usually does. And since you and I last spoke, Chris Waller, the trainer of Very Elegant and Nature Strip, rated eight and six on our rankings respectively, uh, appeared on my Racing TV Sunday program and suggested both those horses, plus one other that he described as a complete rocket, could, uh, could grace uh, European soil next summer and autumn. And I, and I don't think he was pulling our leg either. I mean, this is so exciting because, as we already knew, no, Waller, currently world number seven, but much higher than that before, um, he's an absolute fabulous trainer and he's got some real ammunition to go to war with, particularly uh, in the Northern Hemisphere in the, in the shape of Nature's Trip, who's Australia's best sprinter now without a shadow of doubt. Eight group ones for him. And then, well, what a massively impressive Melbourne Cup victory of Very Elegant, who finally got the chance, as we talk, talked about on the uh, pod previously, got the chance to really encounter a stiff test of stamina in the Melbourne Cup, and Europe should really suit her very well indeed. So, yeah, it'd be great to see those two um, heading this way. Well, thanks to James, to David Piper, Nigel Swiss and Davis earlier in the show. Lydia is still with me. Before Lydia gives you her tip for today, or indeed tomorrow, or any day, uh, we ought to just have a quick word about some of the exciting younger horses that are running uh, over the next 24 hours or so, Lydia. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to a horse in um, who was the winner of the Sefton Maidal um, over three miles last time. Had Brave Man's Game probably below his best, wasn't going from an early stage in behind him. But other good horses, very, very well beaten. He's always looked like a chaser. He made a really taking debut, even though it ended up with an end seat two out, in that same intermediate chase at Carlisle that Fiddler on the Roof run, uh, uh, won. Um, and I'm really excited by him. I think he could be a very good chaser indeed. He's up against some decent horses. Mr Incredible, who's already won for Henry de Brob over in Ireland. Ashtown Lad, who looks like a thoroughstayer, and Flash Collange, who was a staying hurdler for Paul Nichols last season. Okay, De Bromhead's engagement with British racing. I mean, let's face it, last year he was first and second in the Gold Cup, first and second in the Grand National, won the champion hurdle and the champion chase. An achievement in itself that I still think has been underwritten. Mm. Because if it had been done by Michael Dickinson, Fred Winter or whoever else, Vincent O'Brien back in the day, people would still be talking about it as the stuff of legend. He was third in the Trainers' Championship last year. You know where I'm going with this. You think he might be bidding for Trainers' Championship oh, on this side of the IOC? I'm not saying it's necessarily crossed his mind. I'm just saying he's won a bet fair chase. If he won the Ladbrokes Trophy tomorrow, not impossible. If he if he came over with Manella Rindo for the King George mm -hmm. and won that, mm -hmm. if he had, I mean, if 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 all these things have got to happen, mm -hmm. and he's got to win the Grand National again. But I just, he was got pretty close. I, it's not it's not crazy. 
Uh, I mean, Willie Mullins nearly did it, didn't abs- he? Absolutely. And it's reflective of the uh, larger and higher grade of horses that, that Henry de Brom has. He's, an, he's, a, you know, he's a part of the big three over, over in Ireland, and that, that's very big indeed. Um, you're right. The Grand National is, is particularly lucrative, and to finish first and second in it, you know, you'd have, that you know to be able to replicate that seems highly unlikely, just you know, as a matter of, of chance. But nonetheless, he's deploying his horses where he thinks they should go, and quite frequently, that's over here. He's going to put himself in the running. Um, tip for today or tomorrow. I, quite, I mean, I'm interested in Boot Hill today. Oh, yes. I think he could be very, very good indeed. I was very excited about him until he ran into um, a problem as a novice hurdler. Um, he'll be very interesting um, as a novice chaser. He could actually bolt up, couldn't he? Yeah. He could be very well handicapped. Listener Garoska, I think we both agree, is the, is the interesting one in the long-distance hurdle because I th- thought that he ran very well on his seasonal debut at a track that didn't suit him. This more sort of broad, galloping track is much more up his street. And I think he was unfortunate in the Stayers hurdle last year. He was in a lovely rhythm. He was in the right position. It was a strong pace, all the things that he needs, and he suddenly randomly tipped up. I think he could run run really well. Um, in terms of tip-wise, I'm going to go with the Cladaria. So I shall end as I started. Perfect. And that is it from the broom cupboard here at Newbury. That was Friday, November the 6th. Don't forget, Charlotte will be back to recap all the interviews we've been doing for tomorrow's Labrooks Trophy this evening. That will be posted from 9 o'clock. We've got a Tattersall's Bloodstock Bulletin to bring you over the weekend as well. And I will be back on duty on Monday morning. Have a great weekend and enjoy the racing at Newbury. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.